This time we'll now read from Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. The text for the sermon will be the last two verses of Mark chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. We begin reading the Word of God at verse 1 of Mark chapter 16. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, the place where they laid him. But go your way, and te- go your way tell his disciples and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. They went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him, as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive, and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them, as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now the words of our text. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. May the Lord bless this reading of his word unto us. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, at his ascension into heaven, Jesus had reached the appointed end of his earthly ministry. 
And when we say that he had reached the appointed end of his ministry, that doesn't mean that he had nothing more to do after his ministry, but he came to the end of his earthly ministry. For he had, must understand, and even as the angel said to the women at the tomb on the day of the resurrection, he was crucified. He did suffer in our flesh and accomplished everything that the Father had sent him to do in our flesh for us, his church. So that with confidence, he could say from the cross itself, it is finished. And with equal confidence could say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. My work is completed for the salvation and redemption of my people. I have laid the foundation of their righteousness. I have secured their release from the curse. I have anchored them to thy blessing forevermore. And then he arose from the dead and obtained life and immortality for us, which he begins already by his Spirit to work in and through us. And thus, when before his disciples Jesus ascended up into heaven, you children remember, he came up off the ground and the cloud came, and then he went into the presence of God in heaven. His earthly ministry had come to an end. And by that we mean his ministry came into a new phase. His work as the chief prophet and teacher of the church was not finished. That segment of his work had been completed. Now he must move into the next phase of his work as the chief prophet and teacher of his people. That meant then for the eleven disciples... The ascension of Jesus Christ meant a change or a new phase for them and their work. The resurrection had already marked the beginning of that new phase. Perhaps they thought when Jesus arose from the dead, oh, the Lord is back again, the Master is with us again. Only to discover that he could come into the room without opening the door and then leave and disappear and then appear somewhere else and then disappear. It became very clear to them, yes, this is the same person. This is our Lord. This is Jesus. But he's different. He has risen. That body which he has doesn't really belong in this earth anymore. Isn't bound to the creation ordinances as our bodies are bound. And so they began to understand although not fully until Pentecost, Jesus could no longer be with them as he had been for three and a half years, training them, preparing them, teaching them what they must preach, showing them how they must behave as preachers of the gospel, and now that work of training was finished. Jesus must depart from them, even as they may have wanted him to continue with them for many more years, that work was finished. There was a better way now for Christ to gather his church through his apostles through the early, and through the New Testament church until his final appearing. And it's with a view to that work of Christ 
from God's right hand in the gathering of his church, and he commissions the eleven disciples in verses 15 through 18. Go ye, apostles, and in them, the church of the New Testament, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, poisonous snakes. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they will be healed. And then having been commissioned by the Lord himself, then went into heaven. What did the apostles do? We're not given all of the details which we find in Acts chapter 1 about what happens between the Ascension and Pentecost and then what happens on the day of Pentecost. Just receive the Lord's inspired summary of what the apostles in the New Testament church does from the perspective of Christ as the chief prophet and teacher, the sower of the word for the gathering of his church. By his Holy Spirit, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. We call your attention then this evening to that text under this theme, preaching everywhere, the word. Notice what did the apostles do? And secondly, by whose power did they do it? And then thirdly, With what confidence did they do it? The apostles fulfilled, as the text teaches us, their mandate of preaching the word of the gospel. That means, number one, they fulfilled their mandate to be preachers. They did not go about their work, as we read of that in the book of Acts, as salesmen. We have something very interesting to sell to the audience. Would you please purchase this by doing this or doing that, and then we'll give that to you. No. They did not get on their knees before the audience and plead with them to please listen to them and please believe what we're teaching. No. They did not entertain their audience or cajole them into thinking and believing that what they taught was true. It's not what they did. They went forth as Christ commissioned them, preachers or heralds of the king. They were official representatives of the Lord Jesus, going forth into their work in his name, with his authority, to say what Christ would have them to say. And what would he have them to say in his name, with his authority? Secondly, The content of their preaching was the Word, according to verse 20. The Word. And the Word was not their Word. And thus coming to their audiences, well, we think you need to hear this, and we have these ideas and those ideas, and this is what you need to hear. They spoke the Word of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They preached the Word of the counsel of God. They preached that Word out of the Old Testament Scriptures of the whole counsel of God and all of the doctrine of Jesus which 
he had trained them to understand in his earthly ministry. They preached the doctrine of sin, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And isn't that what we desire still to teach today, beloved? To preach, to have our ministers, our preachers, and as a church, to preach the Word? What else is going to help us? What else is going to deliver us? What else is going to give you hope and happiness? What else will work faith in you? Not my Word. Not your Word. Jesus' Word. The chief prophet and teacher's Word. It is our desire, beloved, to have the whole counsel of God preached and taught to us. All of the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ as set forth in all of the Scriptures and which the Spirit of truth which Christ has given to us has led us into through the ages, through many controversies in church history, even to this day. And to do so out of the Holy Scriptures. The result is then that our preaching and teaching sets forth the doctrine according to godliness. And then thirdly, like the apostles, we too desire that the call of the gospel be issued as Jesus did according to Matthew chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 Jesus himself preached it says in verse 14 of chapter 1 Jesus came into Galilee doing what preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent ye and believe the gospel the good news that He is and that He makes known by His person, by His sermons, by His suffering and His death and His resurrection from the dead. The call of the Gospel. By that we mean the preaching then which exposes man's sin, shows his depravity, and shows that depravity according to the shining, piercing light of the Word of God which cuts right into the heart of a man and shows him how ugly and dark he is and totally dark he is. And calls him to repent of that sin. Preaching which proclaims then the good news that there is deliverance from this darkness, this sin, this depravity. In that Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified and arose from the dead. Calls men to believe in that Jesus Christ. Out of that faith, to walk and to live in Him. In the fourth place, the apostles preached that gospel, that word, the call of the gospel, everywhere. When the text teaches us that they preached that everywhere, that doesn't mean that the apostles went to every single location they could possibly find in the Roman Empire, every village, every town, every city, every farmstead in Palestine, in Asia Minor, in, in Greece, in Europe, and Northern Africa, Egypt, and wherever else they were sent by the Lord. No. 
We know from Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul wanted to go this way, and the Lord said, no, go that way. Wanted to go that way. The Lord said, no, you need to go this way. Even though he may have wanted to go to certain locations, he couldn't go everywhere. It's physically impossible. So the everywhere in the text, beloved, is a qualified word. That's true for our understanding too. We might want to preach the gospel in many, many places. Just like the Apostle Paul. We want that word of Christ to go out and to gather those other sheep which he has and snatch them from the jaws or the claws, as it were, of that roaring lion who seeks to destroy and overcome that kingdom of Christ. We who love the church and love the Lord and love his sheep and his lambs, our prayer is not just for our congregation, but for those other sheep which Christ has, that they may be gathered in Because our eye is on that day when that number of the elect shall be complete. The Lord can appear and we can be taken from this night of tears and sorrow and be brought with him into life everlasting in the new heavens and earth. Nevertheless, as much as those desires are very noble, very good, even for a missionary who might want to go over there, may have plans for the future of the work in which he has been working. And the Lord says, no. You want to do that? No. I say, you're not going to do that work. And the Lord can make that known by controversy, upsetting all of the plans. He can do that by lack of pastors, lack of funds, immigration restrictions into certain countries, or after careful investigation and evaluation of a potential mission work, the Lord may bring a counsel to the understanding, no, that's not an area in which we should work. When the text says they preached everywhere, it means they preached everywhere without discrimination. Paul did not come to the city of Ephesus and think, well, there's that temple to Diana. That's rather embarrassing. I'm not going to go into that city. We'll go over here. No. Into the lion's den, as it were, of ungodliness and idolatry, he went. The boldness of Christ and the Spirit preached the Word. Also in Ephesus. Or when he got to Athens, boy, those Athenians are full of idolatry. That's not a good place to go. No. Also there. To Corinth, full of sins of adultery and homosexuality. Wow, what a terrible and heinous sin that is. I'm not going to preach the gospel to homosexuals and lesbians without discrimination, beloved. Preached everywhere. And preached everywhere where the Lord directed them to go. You must understand also, beloved, that that everywhere includes the local congregation. We might think Mark chapter 16 is, well, we have to do missions, missions, and that's all that the church is to do. Let's not forget, this is part of the everywhere. And other local manifestations of the body of Christ are also those places where the Lord directs his ministers to preach. 
where he will have his word preached. And in addition to the local congregations, will also lead his church to the other everywheres of opportunity outside the congregations to bring in others into the fold of Christ. When the apostles did that, in their own ministry in the book of Acts, with that balance between the local congregations and missions, we discover that as the Lord teaches in the commission, verses 15 through 18, it did that with signs. What were those signs? Those signs were those things mentioned in verses 17 and 18. First of all, we know from Acts chapter 16, they did exactly that. They cast out devils. That young lady in Acts chapter 16, between the story of Lydia and the Philippian jailer, cast out that devil out of her. She became a member of the Philippian congregation, which was later established. The apostles spoke in tongues, according to 1 Corinthians 14, Acts chapter 10. The apostles picked up vipers, poisonous snakes, rattlesnakes. We would, were familiar with those poisonous snakes. They could pick up snakes that were even more poisonous, and the venom would not affect them. That's what happened to the apostle Paul, you know, on the island of Melita in Acts chapter 28. While he was picking up sticks for the campfire, one of those sticks wasn't a stick. It was a snake, and it bit him. And the islanders thought he would die. No, he didn't. The Lord used that miracle for a purpose. Verse 17 and 18 talk about the apostles drinking poison. When they drank that poison, they would not die. There are stories in church history of the apostles being given poison. They're unconfirmed stories. The idea is that if they had persecutors who would try to sneak some poison into their food, and the apostles would eat that or drink that, it would not hurt them. They could lay hands on the sick and heal them. In fact, they could touch handkerchiefs and the family members would bring that home to their sick children or sick parents and they would be healed. Those signs, we are taught, were used by the Lord with the apostles, first of all, to give them, as it were, credentials. If someone asked, Prove to me that you are sent by the Lord. The miracles were the credentials. We have been appointed by the king of the church to do this, to preach the word. And these miracles testify to that. So that in the second place, these signs not only pictured their appointment, their commission by Jesus Christ, but also pictured what they were commanded to preach They were pictures of the gospel itself. Just like Jesus, when he did his miracles, they showed pictures of the gospel of our salvation. They showed, first of all, pictures of those whom the Lord saves. He saves those who are dead in sin, unrighteous of themselves, unworthy, enemies, devil-possessed of themselves. That's whom the Lord saves. Those who were His enemies. And that describes you and me. 
But secondly, those miracles show the power of the grace of the Lord to save us from our sin. To save us who are unable, even unwilling by nature, to be saved. And then thirdly, those miracles show what the grace of God does to those whom God saves. That grace renews us. It changes us. It makes us what the word grace means. Beauty. Beautiful in the sight of God. Sweet and tasty to Him. In covenant fellowship with Him. As they preached the Gospel, these miracles would come, as, come with the preaching and signify that Gospel of our salvation. That helps us then, as the text teaches, to understand the relationship between the miracles and the preaching of the gospel. The relationship was not that the miracles were the main thing, as some supposed. The Lord teaches that the preaching is chief. That still, small voice of the preaching, that's the means through which He works. That's the chief means of His Word. The signs as the text teaches in verse 20, they came along following the preaching. And that word following means that those miracles not merely may have followed the preaching chronologically later in the service, a few minutes after the sermon, as it did happen on some occasions, but what the word emphasizes is that relationship of the miracles to the preaching is a relationship of service. The miracles serve the preaching. And they serve the preaching as long as they were needed. Well, how long would that be necessary for the signs to serve the preaching as pictures of the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again for His people? Scriptures teach that the apostles were able to do miracles for the purpose of establishing the church. But once the apostles died, they were no longer needed. They're no longer needed because at the end of the first century, then the church received all of the scriptures, all the way to Revelation. They had the full revelation of God and no longer needed special revelation. And the fact that the church no longer needed miracles or those events of special revelation to serve the preaching is evident when Paul commands Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to carry out his mandate. And his mandate is in chapter 4 verse 2, preach the word. Just like Jesus did in chapter 16 of Mark. Preach the gospel. But then Paul doesn't say, Timothy preached the word in Ephesus, and don't forget to do the miracles too. No. We don't read of miracles again in chapter 4. Preach the word of what's mentioned in chapter 3 at the end, the Holy Scriptures, which God has inspired. Take those inspired revelations of the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again. And that's your work, Timothy, Preach that. Teach that. In season, out of season. 
Thus, after the apostles died, with the completion of the inspiration of Holy Scriptures, miracles were no longer needed. But the church continues to preach everywhere, has continued to preach everywhere, the Word. A faithful congregation, then, of our Lord Jesus Christ is that congregation preaches the Word of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully wherever He leads us in this life. And that faithful congregation which does so is a congregation in which the members of the church who are in the office of believer, the office of Christian, which is not just priest and king, but also prophet, who have the duty to confess His name, they do so faithfully too. Our congregation is faithful as we confess His name as believers in the office of prophet in our daily witness, in our spheres of influence in life. We as believers in the congregation in our daily life are not doing so. Don't expect then the congregation to be faithful in the preaching of the gospel. A healthy congregation It's a congregation where the believers and their seed are faithfully confessing the name of Christ in word and deed. And who demand of their pastor preaching of the word of Christ, which is faithful and true. Who is able to do that, beloved? By whose power did the apostles do that? It's certainly clear from chapter 16, which we read, that the apostles could not have preached everywhere out of their own strength. Mark chapter 16 shows they did not even have the strength to believe the resurrection of Christ from the dead. When you compare Mark 16 to Matthew 24, uh, Matthew 28 rather, and Luke chapter 24, you get the impression that the apostles believed the resurrection. This chapter seems to show that they didn't, and there seems to be contradiction. Well, there isn't a contradiction, beloved. What the Lord is teaching us here is that even though they saw Jesus come into the room, even though they saw Him eat the fish and the honeycomb, even though they saw Him among the other 500 at the Sea of Galilee, even though they saw Him go into heaven, there was still a problem. Unbelief. Even when He went up into the heavens, The angels had to come and tell them, you go back to Jerusalem. What are you doing looking up into heaven? He's not coming back the way you think. Go back to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, then you will understand. And when they did their miracles, they even confessed that very truth. This is not of ourselves. That the lame man, 40 years old, at the temple, healed by the hand of Peter and John, that he was healed. They confessed, this is not by us. It's not our strength, our power that made this man whole. It's from another, from our Master. That's also true of us, beloved. We must confess that preaching the Word faithfully in the office of the ministry of the Word or confessing the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ in the office of believer, doing that as a parent, in the instruction of your covenant children, Doing that as a child and a young person. 
not denying your Lord or compromising the truth, or walking against the commandments of God, but rather in faithfulness according to them. We don't have the strength to do that. As a church, we don't. We're prone to mistakes. We have much sin. To fight against false doctrine, false ideas. As believers, we're like the apostles, hard of heart. and need to be abraded because of our unbelief. We become proud very easily. We know the truth. They don't. It's easy for us to become haughty, obnoxious, impatient with those who don't learn the truth as quickly as we did. That's very dangerous, beloved. We're prone to vain glory, making a name for ourselves and abusing the truth for our own glory. To preach the word everywhere or in our own spheres of life, to teach our children the word, call our children to repent and to believe in this Christ who is their Lord for the remission of their sins, to bring them to church under the catechism teaching, under the preaching of the gospel, to go about our daily witness on the job site, in the factory, wherever God has placed us, in the school, wherever it may be. That's not of us. And it never will be. And if you don't think so, the Lord will teach you very quickly. We don't have the strength. We don't have the wisdom to fulfill this work. We don't. But our hope is, as the text teaches, the apostles preached and did their miracles, the Lord working with them and confirming. The Lord worked with them in their labors. No, that doesn't mean that this is some kind of synergism. The apostles did this much work and the Lord did that and together they saved and gathered the church by the arm of the apostles and the arm of the Lord and the word of the apostles and the word of the Lord. Some kind of cooperative work in which the apostles are partly author and Christ is partly author of the work of salvation in the church? No. must understand the Lord the Lord working with them in the context of what just had happened, the ascension into heaven. The apostles may have thought and may have been shocked by, the Lord has only been with us for three and a half years and now He's gone? What are we going to do? He's left us to ourselves? And this text teaches, no, the Lord did not forsake them. The Lord did not leave them so that they must now go into their work alone. Physically, there's a difference. There's a separation. But spiritually, there would never be a separation because of Pentecost. The Lord dwells in His people, dwelled in the apostles in a far better way, more effective way than He could ever do physically.
We might think, boy, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if the Lord could stand here this evening and He would preach to us and would do that over there and go on an itinerary through the churches. Impressive. Absolutely. But that's not the Lord's way, beloved. That's not what He has ordained. To be able for the Lord to sow His Word upon the hearts where He casts that Word of that seed of His Word. To have His Word and His voice made known through all the earth and all the nations, tribes, and tongues of the earth, being the man, and physically then limited to the right hand of God, it doesn't work for Him to be everywhere physically. But through the Holy Spirit He is, and works, and hasn't left you and me to fulfill our duty on our own. But he is with us as our chief prophet and teacher by the Holy Spirit to lead us into his truth, to teach us his truth, then to confess it, and as a church to preach it everywhere he sends us. Now, was it clear then that the Lord did accompany them? He walked with his apostles, walks with us as we do our work. And the answer of the text and the later history in the book of Acts is absolutely yes. He went with them by the Holy Spirit very clearly. That Apostle Peter didn't always say the right things. That Apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, knew exactly what had happened. When the believers went out into the streets and spoke in many languages the wonderful works of God. He knew exactly that's the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. That's evidence of the Lord at God's right hand, the Lord whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. This is what's going on. What happens? The Lord gave Peter the words to speak on the spur of the moment. The Apostle Paul, when he stands before Felix and then Festus and then King Agrippa, he gives those beautiful accounts of his life. The Lord gave him the word to speak by His Spirit. The Lord was with him, giving the word to teach, even before those mighty kings. It's often true also for us. The Lord goes with us too. There may be an elder on a visit, coming to the visit. You don't know, what am I going to say? Well, obviously we need to speak the word. How is this going to go? What am I exactly going to say when I read this passage? And what exactly am I going to say when I pray with this grieving saint or this suffering saint or whatever the case may be? Often the Lord gives us the word to speak. Not recklessly, we do our preparation, but in the end, we must confess, without the Lord and His Spirit, we would, we would be tongue-tied. We would not be able to administer the word of hope and mercy. And the Lord also confirmed his presence with the signs following, verse 20 teaches. The miracles confirm that Christ was crucified. He was risen. He was actively gathering unto himself his sheep and his lambs. Whenever the word went forth, there was always that fruit. Negative fruit. The enemies of Christ try to persecute and kill the apostles and overthrow the kingdom of Christ. But there's always that positive fruit as well. 
so that as many as the Lord had ordained to eternal life, they were saved, they were added to the church. Does the Lord do that for us today? The answer is yes. He confirms the word which we preach, or the testimony or witness that we give, not by special revelation anymore, but by this revelation. Think of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. When the apostle preached the word, what did the Bereans do? They searched the scriptures to compare what the word they heard to discover that's the word of God in Scripture. And through that process, the Lord confirmed in the Berean congregation, this is the word of God. This is the truth. The congregation prospered by God's grace in that faith. So also today, we hear the word preached. We can compare that with the Scriptures, interpreting Scripture. And in addition to that, God has given us the Reformed Confessions. So we can test and look at that sermon in the light of the rule and the standards that God has been pleased to give us as that precious Reformed heritage. And thereby we see the Lord from heaven is confirming for us the truth of that which we preach and that which we witness from day to day. And then there's also that twofold fruit. When you witness to your co-workers, not everyone's interested in what you say. Some will mock you. They will be offended by what you say. Maybe what you say will make them use more curse words in your presence. and They'll try to aggravate you and, and persecute you. But there's also that other positive fruit. That the word that you bring to that suffering saint gives them hope and light in their misery. The word which you bring to the child in correcting them brings them out of that way of disobedience in which they learn is misery into the life of peace with God and rest with Him and happiness and reconciliation one with another. There's positive fruit in our work as parents in bringing the word teaching the Word, the life of that Word in our covenant homes. That's confirmation. God doesn't send you into that work alone. He is with you, working through you, with His sheep and His lambs. When the apostles went forth in that labor, they did that with confidence, as we must also do. Their confidence was based in the ascension of Jesus Christ, as our confidence also must be when we go about our work preaching the gospel or in our daily witness. We must remember the Lord whom we serve, our chief prophet and teacher, is the Lord at God's right hand. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in His ascension, he has sealed that finished work of his death on the cross. That redemption which we hear in the gospel. That redemption we teach to our children. That redemption is sure. It is certain. It is guaranteed. We know that and we are assured of that in the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, 
The ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ was pictured in the Old Testament when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and then put the blood on the mercy seat. And then that, holy, that high priest left the Holy of Holies. But our high priest, who is after the order of Melchizedek, went into the presence of God, there to stay, to sit at the right hand of God as the mercy seat with the finished fruits of his redemption. Our redemption, beloved, is finished. The gospel is no fraud. It's the truth. It's the reality. And the reality is sealed at the right hand of God. The ascension also seals the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The life which God works in you by the Holy Spirit is not the life of this earth which will soon pass away. That's not everlasting life. That's not the immortality that Christ has gained for us. That immortality which Christ has gained for us is life everlasting in a life which is above this earth, in a life which cannot die, a life which cannot sin, a life which has the victory. So that even though persecutors might try to kill you, they cannot touch that life that God has worked in you. That they can never steal from you. Because we are held in the hand of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And that's sealed in the ascension of our Good Shepherd to the right hand of God. And thirdly, that ascension of Jesus Christ with respect to the gospel which we, treat, which we preach and the legitimacy of that gospel over against all of the world religions and all of the false gospels besides, this gospel of the truth is real. It's genuine. And that's sealed in the ascension in this way, that in the Old Testament, the devil always accused the Lord and his promises of being a fraud. There was the argument of and the war between the devil and Michael over the body of Moses. Arguing that, no, Moses' body can't be here based on the promise. Jesus ascends up into heaven. That's the end of the liar. The end of his lie. Christ is established at the right hand of God as the, as the true prophet. And establishes the devil, that seed of the serpent, as a liar in his kingdom, a kingdom of the lie, which is under God's condemnation and curse. Thus the gospel which we serve, and the chief prophet which we serve, is certified by Jehovah himself as the true prophet. That which you confess, that which you preach as a church, that's the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the world says, how they speak against it, doesn't matter, it's still the truth of the true prophet of our Lord Jesus Christ. That gives us confidence, doesn't it? We're not confessing some kind of, some, some fairy tale that someone made up. No, this is the reality that we confess and the, and the truth which we preach. The second aspect of the ascension of Christ that gives us confidence is that he sat at the right hand of God. In that position in his human nature, he received all sovereignty and omnipotence in heaven and in earth and even over hell. 
He is that Lord of lords and King of kings. He is preeminent in all of God's creation, for He is the purpose of all of God's works. And being at God's right hand then means, this is the Christ, this is the Lord Jesus, this is the chief prophet and teacher who rules the everywhere where the Word is sent by Him. When the apostles went forth, wherever they went in their journeys, Peter and John, then Peter, Philip the Evangelist, the Apostle Paul, and so on, wherever they went, they went where the Lord is sovereign, working all things through them, with them, for His work of the gathering, preserving of His church from the nations of the earth. Wherever His Word goes, He is Lord, sovereign over all things. That, for the apostles, gave them confidence. They were confident that everywhere the Lord sent them, their work would prosper with the signs of the miracles confirming that word which they were sent to preach. And that's the confidence that we need, beloved, and they needed in light of the opposition which they needed to face. They faced great enemies, a world of idolatry, which perhaps some of us, most of us, have never experienced. Faced false prophets, constantly trying to undermine their work, They faced their own sinful natures, so that even sometimes the apostles sinned and they had to be corrected. Similarly, we also face great enemies in that work to preach the gospel wherever the Lord sends us, without discrimination. There are the the temptations of false teachings, opposition of lawlessness, disorderliness, As believers, we face our own sin, our own pride, peer pressure. Oh, if I confess the name of Christ in this particular way, in this situation, they might laugh at me, or I might lose my job. I better not say anything. I better not, what we mean then is, not confess the name of my Lord and His truth. That's what we're prone to do, because by nature we're cowards, We are. Or we'll do, we will speak the truth for vainglory. We're covetous with respect to the duty God gives us to confess His his name and His truth. We look at the way sometimes in which the Lord leads us, a way of controversy, a way of suffering, a very difficult way, a way in which families are separated and broken as one spouse or another spouse go separate ways, children are separated from their parents, we begin to think, really, is this sacrifice for the truth worth it? And our sinful nature begins to covet another way, which God has not given us, but which we in our wisdom think is much better for us and much easier for us. When things don't go our way, 
according to our plans. And the Lord says, no, the work that you're doing isn't going to go the way you have planned. In the mission work, work of a congregation, we're prone to become bitter against God. This is not right. We face the enemy, beloved of ourselves, of quitting, of giving up, of being easily discouraged. You understand, beloved, we need the Lord, by His Spirit, to work miraculously in us. A confidence not in ourselves, but a confidence in the Lord, a quiet confidence and courage in Him, by faith, And him who is the ascended chief prophet and teacher, the Lord, who governs all things, believing that our work, our duty is to confess his name, to preach his word, and leave the fruit to him. We need him to open these blind eyes, these deaf ears, that stiff tongue which will not confess his name, lest we be persecuted or be ashamed. We need to be healed and delivered, beloved, from our own darkness and translated into the marvelous, glorious light of the riches of the wonder of God and our salvation and have that tongue loosed to praise Him, to thank Him, to make known what He has done to us, so unworthy and undeserving. We need the confidence, beloved, that no matter where he leads his church in history, whether it's through difficult controversy, through deep valleys of persecution where we may need to die, must remember all of that labor in the service of Jesus Christ, preaching his word faithfully wherever we are, that labor is not in vain. Whether the fruit of that preaching is negative, People leave. Or the fruit of your witness is negative. You lose friends. Or as parents in our covenant instruction, it may be that our covenant education will have negative fruit. Our children will not believe. Or when that witness does, by the Holy Spirit, be used to bring the fruit of bringing others to church under the same chief prophet and teacher that we need. Or the word goes forth, and believers and their seed are engrafted into the church to join us in the praise and worship of our God. Whatever it may be, beloved, you must believe that the word of the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, that word will always prevail. Always. Go forth then, beloved, in that confidence of faith. In your ascended Lord Jesus Christ, your chief prophet and teacher, and go everywhere. He puts you in life, confessing His name, preaching the Word, believing the Lord will confirm your faithful labor. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we give thanks to Thee for Thy Word, and may by the Holy Spirit that Word stir us up unto true faith, and a faith which bears good fruit. Much praise and thankfulness to Thee. Lead us by Thy Spirit, and encourage us in our way in life, that we may be faithful, 
prophets of our Lord Jesus Christ, confessing his truth, confessing his name without shame, but with delight. Thee, our Heavenly Father, bless us as a congregation that through our pastor, the oversight of our elders, our preaching may also continue in faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ for the building up of our congregation in our generations according to thy covenant promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.